0: Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Well, good morning and thank you. Uh, Hopefully, you take that song to heart. Don't worry, be happy. And uh, maybe in these next few moments, uh, we uh, dive in in some ways where we are really thinking about what that looks like from a perspective of Scripture. Just this thought is running around in my head right now. And that is, the greatest commandment in the law is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so I think when we stop and we think about that, I, I Just this observation I would make, I, I think most of us are really tuned into that heart-soul piece. We're kind of heart-soul people. We're kind of emotional, spiritual kind of ideas, particularly when it comes to God and church and faith and all those things. And we really engage at that level. I want to I feel this. I want to have it affect my emotional state of being. And then I want it to be spiritualized in a way that it sort of occupies that space in my life. But I'm not sure we're so great at the mind-body piece. I think we we sometimes really struggle when it comes to, I'm going to engage some things intellectually. I'm going to believe some things. I'm going to process and challenge myself in a way that I'm going to look at things in a biblical way. I'm not going to make it up. But I'm going to have this, I'm going to engage my mind along with my heart and my soul. And then I'm going to engage my body. I'm going to engage the fact that it matters what I do. And we've spent a lot of time as a congregation over these last couple of years talking about the mind, body, soul, spirit connection. The fact that modern psychology is exploring that what we do with our bodies has something to do with what is going on inside of our minds and our hearts, our souls, our emotions. And so I just, as we think about that, that's really what this sermon is about. It's about being rooted in hope and having sense over suffering, having some way of seeing the world. And so before we jump into a couple of ideas i just want to ask you this question how is that going for you right now as we as we enter into a world in which there's challenges and there's there's politics there's divisiveness there's covid there's disagreement over how to do practically anything how is it going for you from a heart perspective how do you feel how is it going from a soul perspective how is your spirit doing But how is it going from a mental perspective and how is it going from a body perspective? What things are you doing that are engaging you in such a way that you are allowing your mind, body, soul, heart to all function together in a way that is rooted in hope and is honoring to God? So that's really what we're thinking about this morning and what we're talking about And so, uh, if at the beginning of 2021 you want to have a sort of melancholy afternoon, uh, I invite you to just, you know, go online and uh, Google the problem of suffering. Um, I'll warn you, uh, it won't be an exciting journey. It won't be a lot of fun. It won't be terribly uplifting. Pretty quickly, you're going to be introduced into a bunch of articles and papers and blog posts. A lot of philosophical approaches to life. We talked about one of those last week, existentialism and the meaning of life and how it's all connected together and the meaning of suffering. And and, and you're going to find pretty quickly that you'll leave behind those who are trying to explain the meaningfulness of life, and you'll encounter a whole lot of people who are talking about the meaninglessness of life. And that's not what you and I believe about life, and it's not what you and I believe about the world, and it's not what we're taught about who we are and about the world and the universe and all of that stuff. In fact, when it comes to suffering, the Bible features really prominent stories and lead characters who face unimaginable suffering. It doesn't turn away from it. It doesn't try to explain all the nuances of it. But what it does do is it makes profound claims that how we approach suffering matters, that it matters what's going on, not only in our heart and our soul, but also in our mind and in our body. And we're invited to engage as whole, integrated human beings into the process of faith, belief, structure that we are invited to approach life with good sense instead of allowing ourselves to be overwhelmed. Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith Of him who is the head that is Christ I just think that Paul is talking about a culture and a world that's not much different from the culture and world that you and I are living in that he's talking about this pluralistic multicultural highly elitist world that was the Empire of Rome and he's talking to a group of people who are getting pulled in a million directions about all of the points of view and all the philosophical approaches and all of the opinions about governments and who and what and the Jews and the Romans and the the the, the, the Samaritans and on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And he's saying to us, I, I want you to be taught and equipped. Until you join together in a unity about something that is far more found, fundamental and foundational than the passing empires of the world and the passing politics of the world and even the passing, passing sufferings of the world so that you're not blown around by every wind of teaching. I feel like right now, honestly, there's a whole lot of folks that are getting blown around by all kinds of teaching. Teaching that there's all kinds of things coming up and popping up on Facebook. And, and I'll be honest with you, you know, I don't know what it all is. I don't know what it all means. But I know this. I know that the very next line that Paul shares is so that they're, they're caught up in men's deceitful scheming. Listen, the world is full of deceitful schemes. Yes, it doesn't work that well. People struggle. People are selfish. We are selfish. And yet he says, in the midst of all that, what I want you to do is to grow up into a unity. I want you to grow up into the maturity that is reflective of Christ, who is the head of all of this. And so it's not enough that we engage our spirit. I would guess that for a lot of us, our hearts are heavy. Our spirits are heavy. We feel feel like we're being boxed in and so Paul says when you have times like that, maybe you've got to step away from all the feelings, and you've got to step away from that sort of oppressive spirit, and you've got to engage your mind in a way where you're growing up. You're leaving the things of infants behind, and you're rising up into a maturity that says, no, I, I love God with my heart and with my soul, but also with my mind and with my body. And I'm going to ask my body to do some things that my mind is telling me is the right thing so that it can inform my heart and my soul that I'm really rooted in hope. The hope of Jesus Christ, the creator of the world. You can't talk very long about this idea of meaning and suffering before you begin to talk about the meaning of life. There is in Scripture this hope of being able to believe some things and in that belief to confront the reality of meaning and suffering in our world and even in our own lives. Nobody wants to suffer, but where we see God in the middle of our struggle and our suffering is huge. It comes down to the, to the difference between seeing God as a a God who is worthy of our love, who gives us and wraps us up in His love, are an entity that's not to be trusted and can't be relied upon. Viktor Frankl writes these words, if there is meaning in life at all, then there must be meaning in suffering. And I think that matters because that's where the biblical narrative takes off. The biblical narrative is unafraid to suggest exactly that, that there is meaning in suffering, that there is meaning in life and there's meaning in death and there's meaning in success and there's meaning in failure and there's meaning in good times and there's meaning in bad times. And it's not elegant math where everything ties out at the end and and, and we're able to see the why of it all. It is not like that. It is instead something that is brave and honest, and hopeful, and listen to this, it's sensible. It's sensible. I can't really talk about suffering without adding the conversation about the meaning of life. And when we begin to filter that all through this dramatic scriptural story about real-life people who suffer in very dramatic ways, what we come up with is the idea and the thought that both life and suffering have deep, deep meaning. I came across an article in doing research for this sermon several weeks ago by an author named Teresa Aker. Uh, The title of the article is, Seven Things to Do When You're Suffering. And so I'm going to go through it rather quickly, uh, but it's because I want to get to one of the last things she says and quote her, uh, because I think what she says is incredibly profound. So, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, if you're going through a period of time in your life right now where things are difficult and you're suffering, I I want you to just settle down for a minute, and I want you to hear this and know that, you know, as we move through these seven things, uh, we're going to come to a moment of something I really love and I want to share with you. First of all, she says uh, that when we begin to go through places of suffering, she says this, few of us know how to suffer Well, So what do we do when we're faced with grief or when we seem to be going nowhere? And so she has seven ideas, seven things to remember in the darkest moments. Number one, be honest. You can't pretend you're fine if you're not fine. Go ahead and feel your feelings. (coughs) She says, It's a great time to follow in the footsteps uh, of those who suffer and speak of it so openly and honestly before God. Study the Psalms, go to the book of Job's, look at Lamentations. There is an honesty and a bravery in the biblical narrative about what it means to go through hard times. And so whatever it is, if it's sadness, if it's confusion, if it's doubt, if it's anger at God, feel your feelings. He can handle it. Be honest about what you're feeling. And so I just think that's a great thing as we think about where we are right now. Be honest, you know, think about your thoughts and what's really going on. Number two, get outside yourself, she says, and love others. That it's imperative that we don't become too inwardly focused and we get into self-pity and we begin to wallow in the things that are going on. Go ahead and look out and go ahead and put yourself in space with people that love you even though sometimes when we're suffering, it feels like that's the last thing I have the energy to do. This is the last thing I want to do. I don't want to make that phone call. I don't want to reach out. I, I'm sort of COVID shut down. I'm sort of socially I'm becoming sort of insular, and I'm finding that law of diminishing returns. The less I do, the less I want to do. The less I interact with people, the less I want to interact with people. The less I, I am engaged socially, the less I want to be engaged socially. And I would guess that's about 50-50. Half the people can't wait till they fire the gun and we can go run and see everybody and get on an airplane and fly somewhere and go out to dinner. And others are like, I don't ever need to leave the house again. We're encouraged. Get outside yourself. Love others. Number three, she says, be intentionally thankful. She says, when she went through suffering, just setting aside 10 minutes a day to write down things for which she was thankful made a gigantic difference. This physical thing she did with her mind and body impacted very deeply what was happening in her heart and soul, and I think that's true of us. Number four, get your creativity on. Do something productive and creative. A phenomenon of life is that some of the greatest things of beauty come from suffering. In the article, she cites Vincent van Gogh as a a man who suffered immensely from psychological issues, depression, all kinds of things, but that he turned that pain into beautiful, beautiful art. And then she cites the truth that even the suffering of Christ becomes the beauty of the resurrection and how it is a model. And so, engage in something creative. Number five, just keep going. That we believe that in all things, God works for the good. And while it's not necessarily worth it, we believe that what that means is we're going somewhere. So, don't stop. Keep going. Number six, she suggests, be still. Just be still. Stop analyzing. Stop trying to figure it out. Stop trying to make sense of everything. Just quiet your heart and be still. And then number seven, and this is really why I love the article and wanted to share it. Ask, so where the heck is God in all of this? And then she says, I I I want this question, where the heck is God in all of this, is related to the question of why God. Why is this happening? And she says there's this beautiful story about Lazarus, a friend of Jesus. And Lazarus has died and Jesus comes. And when he arrives, Mary says to him, if you were here, this wouldn't have happened. And Jesus' response is shocking, she writes. I'm quoting from her now. He wept. He didn't give her an answer. It was better than that. It was a gift. His gift to her and her question was seemingly useless. It was extravagantly beautiful. His weeping with her was the extravagant gift of his self and his humility. In feeling down to the darkest depth, the same emotions as hers. God's gift to us and our suffering, especially when we cry out why, is not always an answer. It is the gift of himself. It is his presence. Even when you don't feel Him there, He is. He weeps with you. His presence goes beyond a quick fix, beyond feel-good emotions. He descends down into the darkness with us. God has never promised us a pain-free life, but He has promised that He would be there with us in the midst of it. I think that is so profoundly beautiful. And so profoundly beautifully written. And so when you and I begin to think about what it means for us to engage, to have some sense about us of how we see life, and so I want to ask you again before we jump into the passage of how Paul sees suffering. How's it going with you? If I were to ask you in this morning how you're feeling, would you be giving me mostly a heart and soul? My emotions and my spirit are here. This is what I'm feeling, and this is how it's going in my spirit. And, and, and I think that matters. That's a lot of our reality. But it is impacted by what is happening with our minds and with our bodies. And so I, I just want to encourage you now to sit back and listen, because I think Paul is feeding all of those parts of us as human beings. The Bible certainly features prominent stories and lead characters who face unimaginable suffering. And while it doesn't explain all the nuances about suffering, it does have profound claims about suffering and how we approach it. So listen to the words of Paul. It's exactly what he's talking about in the passage in Romans 8, 18 through 21. I consider So, so Paul is inviting us to think about some things, to put some sense into the suffering, to have some understanding, and the language is loaded, and so the, the pieces that he's crafting are very important to us, and I see four things that matter so much so that we are not just blown around by the events and circumstances around us. Number one, there is a sense of context in the suffering. There's a sense of context in the suffering. Verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The, the Bible is always asking us to step away from our little story, our small story, and to participate in the greater story of God and, and what's going on. That, that the present things that are going on are not everything that's going on. That there is more happening than meets the eye. That the sum total of the reality of the universe is not tied together into COVID-19. I, I, I wish you would say that out loud to yourself. That, that the sum total of history and the meaning of the universe is not tied into the inauguration that will happen this week that it's not tied into the United States of America or to governments in general, that there is more going on in the universe, in the spiritual world, than just what I am seeing and experiencing. And sometimes I get caught up in a way that I forget that there is a contextual aspect to suffering, that I lose the sense that what I see is only a very small piece of the story and the scripture is constantly calling me to see more i am con- i am convinced that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us so it's not just in that idea that there's a context for us that there is you know sort of this greater sense of more going on but while there is always suffering there is also always beauty there is also always good things happening listen, let's be honest. We live in a world that celebrates the destructive thing. For whatever reason, what gets people to watch TV or engage is something tragic. It's the saddest story. What's going to get posted and go viral is somebody somewhere not wearing a mask and doing things that that really good people wouldn't do. It doesn't pay attention to the millions of people who are doing the things they're supposed to do, who are caring about others, who are thoughtful and loving and going. And I guarantee you, there are millions more people doing the right thing than doing the wrong thing. But that's not where we focus. And Paul is inviting us to say, you got a sense, there is a sense that there is a context to the suffering. And and within that context, for a For a believer like you and I, it's not just about that idea that there's more going on than we see or that there's also beauty along with the suffering. It's also this, that we understand that that we are in a context where things are continuing to move forward, where we have faith that God in all things is working for good. We put suffering into a context, and it is a process in which we understand that God uses hardship… And though it might not all make sense, we are promised that in all things He's working for our good. Number two, there is a sense of process to the suffering. He says, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. He, He just says, I just want you to know that not everything has come together yet. Not everything has started to make sense. Not everything has become just. Not everything has found healing our restoration our redemption. Not all of the promises of peace and life and fulfillment have really come together yet. But we are also not stuck. Life is also not regressing. It is also not going backwards or stuck in its place. Instead, we are in process. We are moving forward. Things, time, eternity is moving toward a point of fulfillment. Listen, ultimate redemption is company, it's happening, it's coming. And in this hope we wait patiently for it. Do you? You don't have to believe that, but that is the biblical narrative. The whole creation waits in eager expectation, as in the pains of childbirth. Something is coming at the end of this process. This is a process, and we put that into our minds. We make sense in the suffering. Number three, there is a sense of seasons in the suffering. Verse 20 For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. So when Paul uses this language, creation, and he's used it twice now, verse 19 and now in verse 20, the Greek is calling our attention to the cycles of nature, to how nature works. So so let me just give you the argument of what he's trying to explain to us. He's saying that not only did human beings suffer from uh, the fall, not just the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve that suffered the consequences of what happened in the garden, uh, that ultimate choice in the biblical narrative to choose selfishness over honoring God, but the whole creation was subjected to a kind of deterioration, to a kind of death. And so what happens in nature is that we observe that process in a way that is extremely condensed. And so what we see is we see a time of suffering and death. We see the fall come, and he's got this idea in his mind that the fall comes and things began to die away, and there's a simplifying, and and things sort of go into a mode in which we watch the deterioration of things around us. And we've learned to experience that as beauty. And then as that season of deterioration gives way, it finds itself in a place of being completely frozen, into a place of winter, where there is literally the experience of no life. Now we all know, because we observe the microcosm of nature, that there is life buried in the ground. There is life holed up in the tree. There is life holed up in the plant. It's it's dormant, it's frozen, It's in this place of winter. We've watched it deteriorate. We see how it's stuck. But we also know that spring is coming. And we know that out of what seems to be this process of death and deterioration and being stuck and being frozen, that life will be born again. And out of life will come harvest and fruit. And and the sustenance of life will be involved. And and Paul is simply saying... (laughs) We know that the whole creation is suffering. We see that cyclical process. Can we not see it in our own soul? Maybe our seasons are not that compact, and we don't just have a few months of fall and a few months of winter and a few months of spring and a few months of summer. Maybe instead we, in our whole journey, maybe there is a whole years and years in which it feels like things are deteriorating and fall apart. And Paul says, have some sense. Maybe we're, we're living in days, years, experiences, suffering, tragedy, in which it's winter, and we are frozen solid. Our emotions are frozen. And we'll have Christian friends who say, hey, why don't you have spring? Well, I'd love to have spring, but I don't know how. I don't know how to get out of the winter. And the Scripture says, listen, it's not up to you to figure that out. It's up to you to understand you're in the winter. But spring will come. There will, be, there will come a time when life will begin to ha- be born again. So have hope. And out of that comes a time of fruitfulness. We don't live in the fall. We go through a lot of falls and a lot of winters and a lot of springs and a lot of summers. And by the way, for you old people out there, It is the cycle of life to begin to believe that I'm in the fall now, I'm in the winter, I've had my spring and summer, I'm not having any more. Stop that. You're going to miss something. You're going to miss what God has. God doesn't say that life is a cycle in which when you're young, you're in the spring, and then in middle age, you're in the summer, and then when you get old, you're in the fall, and then eventually you're old enough to be frozen. Listen, things are freezing up. There's no doubt about it. But what we are taught is that in every part of our life, there is this process. And maybe as you've gotten older, you've had a fall, and you've had a winter, and you're anticipating that you're going to be stuck there forever. You're not. You're not, unless you decide. Unless you decide that you're going to just live in this place of your heart and your spirit. But you're not going to listen to your mind and your body. And so you're invited into a place of sense. Suffering comes to our lives, but when the dead of winter has frozen us, there is the hope that we will finally come to spring and new life. And life will find its way into ground that seems eternally frozen and impossibly hard. There's hope. Number four, and we're wrapping up now. There is a sense of limits to our suffering. Verse 21 in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. Finally, as he concludes this little section, Paul reminds us that the seasons of suffering will not go on forever, that there will come a point where a liberation begins to happen, where even the creation will be liberated from the process of decay and suffering and pain and death. It's certainly not the only place in Scripture that the topic gets approached. It's not about hiding from our suffering and our pain or even trying to make it seem like it's worth it. It's simply an acknowledgement that pain and suffering does not get the final answer. It doesn't get the final answer in your life. It doesn't get the final answer in politics. It doesn't get the final answer in COVID. It doesn't get the final answer in relationships that God has set up this reality. Yes, in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Have some sense about what's happening. And so you and I are invited into this place, this place in which we, we engage life, we engage culture, because we know something. We have something in our head We have something in our heart, something in our faith. We're not scared. We're not terrified. We're not tearing people down for what they think, for their their being swept around by beliefs of this and that and scheming. We're not that people. Instead, we are the people who are growing up into this kind of maturity. I want to read that Ephesians passage to you one more time before we pray. So Christ Himself gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers to equip His people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then We will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. Pray with me. God, you have invited us to be people who love you with our heart, soul, mind, and body. And as a congregation, we confess to you that what we desire is to love you with our heart and soul. We, We desire to love you with our feelings and with a sense of spirit in us that it encourages us and builds up and we always feel good and we're always having good thoughts and we're always on top of things. Would you remind us that to love God means also engaging our sense, our mind, and allowing that to inform our bodies? That in fact what you're inviting us to do is to put some things in our head that root us in hope, Because it's what we deeply believe about life and its meaning and suffering and the universe and the world and the future and the God who loves us. And so we come against all those other things. The deceitful scheming, the being blown back and forth by teaching that inflames our emotions and speaks to those things over there that that we so often rely on. It works in our fear factor. It works over here in those things. But... But it doesn't leave us in a place of maturity and depth. It doesn't leave us a place where we speak the truth and love. It leaves us in places of criticism and, and, and in places where we are tearing down instead of building up. God, may it not be. May each of us open our minds in such a way and discipline our bodies, which includes the words we speak. So that each of us may be reflective of the deep grace and love and mercy of Jesus Christ. May it be true of us. Go into this week before us. Guard this country through the processes it will go through. And in all things, will you work for the good. And would you allow your kingdom to come. Your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. I pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.